Our topic tonight out of the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 14, Noah, Daniel, and Job. The upright. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1. Some of the elders of Israel came to me, to Ezekiel, and sat before me. Well, that's a good thing, right? That's a good sign. They're coming to Ezekiel. Ezekiel the prophet. He'd been prophesying here. We're already in chapter 14. If it's chronological, then some time has been passing by, and, and not all of his messages have been uh, sweet and warm and, and fuzzy. Not all nice stories and good positive thinking and, and uh, you know, all um, um, just love and forgiveness. Uh, they've been some straight messages, and yet, so they've come to him. They've come to his house, and they're sitting there, and they're sitting before him and sitting with him. And so that's very good, right? So praise the Lord for that. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts, but put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of them at all? So while they're coming to Ezekiel and sitting at his table and, uh, and, and, and talking with him, uh, God sees their hearts, God sees their motives, God sees right through whatever reason they came, for whatever reason they're there, um, God knows what's really going on in their life. And God will not be fooled, God will not be mocked, and he sees right through it all, and he lays it out. And praise the Lord for Ezekiel, who doesn't uh, mince words and isn't afraid, got courage and boldness and strength and meekness in the Lord and so uh, he lets it be known uh, who's really there sitting among him and God is the same yesterday today and forever God knows our motives and God knows our hearts as well and he sees down into us and not only us here tonight and all congregations all over the world and all those who come and, and sit before him uh, or sit before their minister or their prophet or, you know, whatever, they're coming for spiritual food and, and not all are coming with a right heart. Uh, just talking uh, this week with some people and they, they, he went to uh, college a number of years ago to become a minister of a certain denomination. And in the school he was at, they tried to convince him that God did not exist. <laughs> and it wasn't just him, it was all the students. And that's, the whole denomination runs on that. Uh, and it's so-called Bible-based, traditional. You see their congregations all over town and all over literally the world. And yet they are not about God at all. <laughs> and thankfully he couldn't take it anymore, and he left, and he got out of that and got out of the ministry, uh, even the thought of becoming a minister, but thankfully he did not leave God, and uh, he remained true to God and faithful to God. And so there are multitudes around the world who come for whatever motives, whatever, you know, uh, reason um, they have to come and sit before the Lord or, or, or not. Uh, or sit there for, for whatever reason, but, uh, but God knows, and God sees, and God knows the intent of our hearts. Like the, what's it referred to as a rich young ruler, or a rich young lawyer, who, who came to 
Yeshua. So he comes before him, sits before him, says, what must I do to be saved? Yeshua lays it out, keep my commandments, keep the commandments. And the young man says, I've done all those things. I'm a good boy. I keep God's commandments. Done that since my youth. And Yeshua saw right through it, saw his heart, just like here. He said, there's an idol there. There's one area, at least right now, <laughs> that I want to reveal to you and expose to you. Leave all those things and come and follow me. Give your goods to the poor. And he wasn't willing to let go of it. But he came, he sat there, he made a profession, he showed himself, but he wasn't willing to follow all the way. God can't have any idols. God is a jealous God. There's no room for compromise with him. There's no room for a second. There's no room for a mistress with God. God wants our heart, all of it. God wants us. God loves us. And God won't share us with anyone else. And so he exposes it, he reveals it to Ezekiel. And he says, therefore speak to them. Thus says the Lord God, every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols. God's going to expose it. God's going to make it plain. God's going to reveal it one way or another at some point in time or another. And that's good. He doesn't just let us go on in our self-deception. He will reveal it. He will bring conviction. And whether we yield or like that rich young man, not. The scriptures say he went away sorrowful. And I like how it's worded in some versions. It says he went away sorrowful for he had great riches. As if having great riches causes you to be sorrowful. <laughs> and it does when that becomes your idol. And so may there be no idol in our hearts, whatever it might be. Anything that comes before us in God is our idol. Verse 5, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. And this is the love of God. This is the mercy of God. This is the gospel right here in Ezekiel. He sees them and he doesn't say, Ezekiel, they're hypocrites. Get rid of them. Cast them out of your house. Tell them don't come back. No, he says, I love you. I want your heart. I'm going to seize you by your heart. I'm going to expose your iniquity. I'm going to expose your idol idolatry for the purpose that I might have you. For the purpose that I will gain your heart. That I will get your attention so that you can turn to me and come to me and be released from that anchor that's sinking you under the water, that's destroying you from the inside. Might look very good on the outside. Ezekiel didn't see it at first either. You're walking around as a leader of the people. But God knows, and God cares, and God loves. 
and he won't leave us to ourselves. He pursues us, and he comes after us, and he sends conviction through his spirit, through our conscience, through people, through messages, through the word of God. And he tries to get us to turn our hearts to him. And so he seizes us by our hearts. And just grab our hands, reaches inside, because he wants to take out that heart of stone and give us his heart of flesh. That's love. A love that will not let us go. Verse 6, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. So the gospel, God comes to us, God comes searching for us, God's not sitting far away off saying, well, I'll wait for them to come to me. He goes after us, he grabs us by the heart, and then he leads us to repentance. Repentance is not the first step. God's love poured out towards us is the first action that takes place. Whether we respond or not, whether we walk away sorrowful, or whether we turn to him in repentance, that's determined by our choice. And so God's message, down through the ages, has been repent. Turn from our sins. That was Elijah's message. It was John the Immerser's message. That's Yeshua's message, that's God's message, and that's God's message today as well to us. Repent of our sins, turn from our sins, turn from our wickedness. And at each stage in our growth with God, as he reveals the next area in our life, he wants us to turn from it. So we might not realize something's in our life right now. We're dealing with something else. God reveals, gives us victory in that area. And as we continue in our walk with him, he shows us the next thing that he wants to free us from. He brings conviction, seizes us by the heart, gives us the gift of repentance. And even repentance is not something we can do on our own. The Bible calls it the gift of repentance. So God gives us this gift. God gives us the ability to confess our sins and turn from them. Turn our faces away from them. And he then does that again if we willingly let him. And we continue along, filled with the Holy Spirit, gaining victory in that area. And then in his mercy and his love, he says, I want to make you even better. Come as you are, leave even better. And then he shows us another area that can be refined, that can be trimmed, that can be pruned, that can be sharpened, that can be improved. And he works on that area, brings conviction, brings, hopefully leads to repentance, and we continue on. That's the whole process, continuing over and over and over again throughout our lives. At least that's how it's supposed to work. Unfortunately, in too many cases, there's a big conviction that comes into a person's life, an overwhelming grief or sin that we're in, and we confess it, and we receive God's forgiveness, we receive God's joy, God's peace, God's presence, God's deliverance, God's victory, and we start walking in that victory, and we're so happy there that we just stay at that level 
thankful we're not like we used to be. With no intention of ever improving anymore, no intention of ever repenting anymore, no intention of confessing anything else evermore, we're now better than we were, and we're certainly better than some people that we know, and so we're good. And we just stay there, thinking we're good and we're okay. But the life of walking with God is one of continual coming to him, sitting at his feet, letting him reach into our hearts, and bringing us the gift of repentance and conviction, and changing us, improving us, bettering us for his honor and glory. And then as he brings repentance again, or conviction again, that helps us to keep from thinking too highly of ourselves. See, when we're just coasting along, better, thinking, well, I'm better than I used to be, and I'm better than others, well, then we get proud, and that becomes an idol, and we become our own idol. But when we continue in this continual repentance of the next thing in our life, it keeps us humble before God and humble before people. Because we realize we're never really better than anyone else. Verse 11, that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me, nor be profaned any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I be their God, says the Lord God. Again, the beautiful love of God poured out to us, that he sees us by the heart, calls us to repent, and his purpose for calling us to repent and turn from our idols and turn from our sins and turn to him is so that we can be his people, so that we no longer stray from him, we no longer turn from him, that we no longer want any other gods, that we just bask in the beauty of God's love, and we so see no need for anything else, nothing silver and gold, leisure, pleasure, entertainment or wants, foods or frivolity. Nothing is better than God. Nothing is better than the joy that comes in walking and living continually with him. So that we no longer stray from him nor profane him anymore, that we're delivered from our transgressions and that we are his people, and he is our God, married and united with him forevermore. That's God's desire. That's where we can walk. That's where we can be. And then verse 12, the word of the Lord came again to me saying, son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, cut off man and beast from it. Judgment comes. So we started individually, and now he's talking about a land, a nation, a people group, a group, a congregation, any group, any corporate as well. When we as a corporate body come together and corporately turn from God, he will deal with it as well. Even if these three men Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, 
they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness says the Lord God now in this chapter he says that four times I only I only have it posted up on the wall once uh, but it says basically the same thing four times even if this happened this, even if I brought pestilence or even if I brought beasts or even if I brought this even if Noah Daniel and Job were in it they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness says the Lord God why these three people why does he mention these three people one thing the Bible records them as righteous before the Lord so while our walk with God should be one of continual joy and peace as well as conviction and repentance it can be one of righteousness of continuing walking in God's righteousness it says about Noah that he was righteous in his generation there was no sin on his account doesn't mean he was sinless but there was no known rebelliously held on to choose chosen sin that he was committing at that point when God called him it right and that's a position that we can all live in continually even as God brings conviction to the next area in our life there is no reason that any of us at any point in time need to be in a position where we knowingly choosing rebelliously to sin against God right so how it works is God brings repentance he grabs a hold of our heart he brings conviction of something we didn't realize we were doing brings it to our forefront and there might be a struggle for a time to gain victory over it because it's become a habitual habit to us and I'll give a, an example of something you know simple or maybe not so simple at times in our lives uh, if a person has been cursing let's say for 60 years and they come to the Lord well it's become such a pattern in their mind that while they're forgiven overnight and they can confess it overnight gaining the victory of not saying it when they're not even thinking and they hit their thumb with a hammer may be a process but that's different than hitting their thumb with a hammer and cursing and not caring about it cursing and not caring about it is knowingly choosing rebelliously saying God I know I shouldn't do this anymore but I don't care it makes me feel good I want to do it anyway right we don't have to be in that state we can be continually growing in the Lord right so how it works is God brings conviction Let's say the cursing right and so the roofer he's up on the roof and he's working away and uh, well before he comes to the Lord he hits his hand with the thumb with the, the hammer and he curses and curses he doesn't care and he curses at lunch he curses all the time right every other word every sentence he doesn't care conviction comes he doesn't care you know someone came to the Lord maybe his wife or someone and they're nagging him he doesn't care he's in rebellion he's choosing he doesn't care God brings conviction he starts thinking in his mind I really shouldn't be doing this but I don't care I don't care if those kids can hear me I don't care 
And he continues. But then conviction overwhelms him, and he confesses it, and he surrenders to the Lord. And he's up there on the roof again, he hits his thumb again, and he curses horribly. And about an hour goes by, and he thinks, you know, I really shouldn't have done that. Lord, forgive me. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, change me. I give you my lips, I give you my words. Next day, he's up there again, hammering away again, and he hits his thumb again, and he curses again. But then within minutes, instantaneously, he's confessing and repenting and asking God to transform him and change him. The next day, he's up there again and hammering away, and he hits his thumb again. This time, he thinks the curse, but it doesn't come out of his mouth. And he confesses that he thought it and, and asked God to change him and cleanse him and deliver him. And the next day he's up there again, hammering away, and he hits his thumb again. And this time he says, praise the Lord, I haven't broken my thumb yet. <laughs> praise the Lord, I didn't fall off the roof yet. <laughs> you know, so that's the, how it works, right? And then, and then, so then he gets victory over that, and he's rejoicing in that, and cursing's been delivered. And then God reveals the next thing. And he goes through the same process again. You see, but, but when he got to that point of confessing, and he no longer needed to be in open rebellion, choosing, right? even when it took an hour for, before the conviction to come, or a second before the conviction came, or when it was still thinking in his mind, but was repenting it as it was there, it wasn't choosing, knowingly, rebelliously holding on to sin. You see the difference between sinning and an unknowing sin, like before you became convicted, didn't even think, everybody does it. This is how I grew up. Cursing is language, right? That's not the same as we're convicted, we know it, and we rebelliously say, I don't care. I'm going to continue doing it. There's no reason for us as believers to stay in. And Job, Noah, and Daniel are all examples of that. And I think that's why they're listed here. In this chapter where he mentions, I grab you by the heart, repent of your sins, and he's got people right in front of him, Ezekiel, who are sitting there but have idols in their heart. And so he gives three examples. You think it's impossible? You've been hearing it preached all over the place. You'll never gain victory over sin. Oh, you're just saved. You're just forgiven. But you're, but you're not perfect. And, you know, you just continue in making mistakes the rest of your life. And that's just how the, the, the godly walk is supposed to be. And God says, no, 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 no. Have you considered my servant Noah? Have you considered my servant Daniel? Have you considered my servant Job? And so he gives us those there as examples. And even if they are there in the city, in the congregation, in the community, they and their righteousness will not save us. Each of us individually need to come before the Lord. So Noah, righteous in his generation, not giving up for 120 years. God's telling him, tell the people it's going to rain. 120 years, no rain. It's going to flood. 120 years, no flood. That'd be a horrible weather forecaster, right? I mean, he wouldn't make it too well. Getting mocked, but he did not give up in his faith in God. Some people, you know, pray, and if the prayer doesn't get answered within minutes or even days, or God doesn't hear me, God doesn't care, God's not real. Noah prayed and heard and preached 
a message for 120 years and it didn't happen throughout that time. He remained consistent in his walk with God. Only he and his family got onto the ark. And that's not too bad. At least his family got on. Praise the Lord. He was able to have a good influence upon them. Him and the other seven. But no one else got on the ark with him. Yet he didn't give up. And so he stood basically alone. And there will be times where we need to stand alone. Stand by God's conviction. Right? There's that song, I will follow, even if no one else follows, I, will, I have decided, I will follow, even if no one else does. We need to follow the Lord, like Noah, even if no one else does. A righteous example. And then Daniel. Daniel's amazing. I always find this amazing that God mentions Daniel here in the book of Ezekiel because Daniel is still alive. That's an amazing thing. You know, it's one thing to, to mention Job and Noah and, and you know, any Moses and David, dead people. You know, everybody's better when they're dead. You know, ever see that at a funeral? You know, they're, they're always wonderful when they're dead. Uh, I can't wait till I'm dead. I'm going to be great. <laughs> but, uh, I hope I can be there for it. It would be wonderful to hear what everyone has to say. But Daniel's still alive, and God's using him as an example. And putting him next to Noah and Job. Pretty amazing to stand in that company while we're still alive. I don't know how old Daniel was at this point or where in the book of Daniel exactly he would have been in chapter 14 of Ezekiel, whether he was, you know, yet uh, had stood, no doubt he had already stood for the, the test of eating the, the, the king's unclean food or not, uh, whether there was the golden idol yet or not, or, or what other places, but obviously Daniel's name had made the rounds around Babylon, and he was already in a position in the king's court. And so it's pretty interesting that he's mentioned here. And Daniel lived a righteous life that even when the world, the media, tried to slander him and tried to find something bad about him, and the politicians of that day searched his life, looked him over, checked his Facebook posts and his Twitter account and where he went to high school and who he talked to and who he associated, and everything about him, they could find nothing other than he prayed too much, or at least too much in their opinion. And may that be all they can find about us. What does your Facebook page say? What does your life say? What, is, what do your neighbors say? What does your neighbor say about you? What does your spouse say about you? What does our God know about us? Can he testify to someone else? This person is like Noah. This person is like Job, whom even the devil can't find any fault in. 
That's the position that we can be in. But at the same time, we look at Daniel. Daniel wasn't walking around telling people, hey, look at me. God put me on the level with Noah and Job. Look how wonderful I am. Everyone bow down to me. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's praying, Lord, forgive us for our sins. We have sinned. We've done this. We've done that. Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us. All our unrighteousness and in our sins. He remained humble before the Lord because he continued in this confession, conviction, confession, repentance, receiving God's love mode over and over and over again. And so Job, Daniel's there, Noah's in there, and that's what can be said about us. There's no reason why God can't put our name there and say, this person is righteous in their generation. This person, I find no fault in them. And then Job. Oh, that's the wrong Job, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me try that one. How's that one? Is that one better? Okay. Job. The devil comes to God. I rule over the whole earth. I go anywhere I want. I walk all over the earth. It is mine. And God says, well, you don't have the whole earth. There's at least one individual there whom you don't have. Have you considered my servant Job, who walks uprightly before me? And Satan knew Job. He knew all the temptations he brought against him. He knew all the evil angels who brought temptations against him. And he didn't bring any of those sins before God. He didn't say, well, you remember on January 12th when he did this thing, when I convicted him to do this, and he yielded. He had nothing on him. All he could say was, well, that's only because you're so nice to him. The only reason he follows you, the only reason he's righteous, the only reason that he doesn't have any known, cherished, rebellious sin against you. The only reason he's walking with you continually is because you're so good to him. You take away that goodness and he'll curse you. God says, you don't know Job like I do. He truly loves me. And God allows Satan to take away his riches one after another, his cattle disappear, his camels are stolen, his houses collapse, and his barns and buildings collapse. One after another, the messengers come and tell him, these thieves came and took this, and this storm destroyed this, and down to his children, all together in one house, and the house collapsed on them, and they all died. Can't imagine what type of mourning that would be. And in all these things, Job did not sin against him, against God. So then Satan came up with another plot. He says, I'll get his wife to get him to sin. And his wife's a devil kept his wife alive. Wife comes up to him and says, curse God and die. 
Well, I think he gets sick first. I think still righteous in Job. The devil says, well, take away his health, and then he'll curse you. So again, he had nothing on Job. He could bring nothing to him. They could bring nothing against him. The accuser of the brethren had no accusation on record against Job. Everything had been confessed, forgiven, washed clean, off the record, and living in a walking with God life. And so God says, go ahead, do what you want to him, just don't take his life. God brings, uh, Satan brings boils upon him, oozing from head to toe, everywhere he leaned or rolled or sat or stood, popping boils, painful, scratching them, the piece of broken potsherd in misery. And then his wife comes to him and says, curse God and die already. And even through that temptation, he doesn't yield. He doesn't give in. He doesn't give up. And so Satan used calamities. Satan used sickness. Satan used his wife. And then Satan brings his friends who are nothing but misery and taunt him and harass him and bring no comfort. And even through that, Job does not yield. So no matter what we're going through, right now you're going through some financial hardship, some financial stress, some financial trouble. Trust in the Lord and don't let go. Hold fast to him. Maybe you're going through some real difficult problem. Maybe you again lost your children, whether through death or, or through separation. Don't give up your hold on God. Maybe your spouse is causing you problems, negative, harassing you, trying to get you to give up God, trying to get you to turn from God, verbally abusing you, or maybe in other ways, don't give up on God. Hold fast to the Lord. Maybe you've got sickness, pain, difficulty in your own body or in a loved one. Don't blame God. Don't turn from God. Remain faithful to the Lord, trusting in him. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's how Job responded. God can give us those words as well. Even when so-called friends harass you and cause you problems. Maybe you have some social issues right now you're going through. Maybe some difficulties. Maybe some breakup. Don't let it reflect on God. Keep your faith upon God. Look to him. Noah, Daniel, and Job are all examples that by God's grace, we can live a victorious life with God, whether we're thrown in lion's den, whether we're removed from our home and our family and our country and sold as a slave, we can stand true to God, whether the test is food or the test is idol worship or the test is our very lives or, or prayer, 
we can stand the test with God. Whether God asks us to do something that seems crazy and strange to the whole entire world, everyone else in the world might say, this is how it should be. Someone just told me this week they, they put in an application for a community college. And on the application, it was asking them, what gender do they want to be known as? How do they feel about gender of other people? You know, an application whether or not I can attend the college. Not me, but this person. Crazy. The whole world might be crazy. That does not mean we give up our faith in God and our walk with God. The whole world might not believe that the flood was coming, but Noah stayed the course, and we can stay the course as well. And the world is going to get crazier and crazier. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. It's not going to get rosier. It's going to get worse. Beyond anything we could imagine. But through it all, like Noah, Daniel, and Job, we can remain firm in our steadfast walk with God. Yet, behold, there shall be left in it a remnant who will be brought out. Though there'll be problems, though there will be difficulty, though there'll be only eight on the ark, a remnant will be brought out. Though Daniel and his three friends were in the court and seemed to be the only ones who were not willing to bow down to the idols or give in to Nebuchadnezzar, while everybody else was, God has a remnant. As he told Elijah when Elijah thought he was the only one. I've got 7,000 who haven't bent the knee to Baal. We not, may not see them now. It might seem like we're all alone. But God has others who are serving him as well. God will bring forth a remnant. God will see a remnant through in these last days. God will bring a remnant through who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua. The devil will go around as a roaring lion in wrath and make war against them. But a remnant will be saved. A remnant will come through. It will seem like people are, and people will be leaving the faith in the Lord and receiving the mark of the beast and turning away from God and worshiping idols and different things and maybe not physical type of idols, but the mark and the idol of this world, that all the world will wander after the beast. But God will have a remnant that will stand firm and true through it all and who will not yield, who will not compromise, who will not go along with the crowd, who will stand alone and not individually alone because there will be, like Ezekiel's time, Isaiah's time, 7,000. We may not see him. They may not be in the same building as we are. They may not be in the same town as we are. But God will have a people that will come through, shining forth, singing his praises, trusting in him, walking in righteousness, uncompromising, victorious, all the way through. And as is mentioned in those four times where Noah, Daniel, and Job are mentioned, even if those righteous three are there, like with Abraham, even though Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah, he wasn't able to save the city. We won't be able to save the world. Right now, the world is really 
being mercifully protected by God because there are still some righteous people in the world. Whether they appreciate it or not, literally all hell has not broken loose yet because God is still holding back the winds of strife. Hurt not the world or the earth or the land until I have sealed my people in their foreheads, saith the Lord. But a time is coming where God's people will be sealed and he will pull back and people wonder, why does it seem like there's so much more calamities and so much more crazy stuff going on? Well, God's spirit is being pushed away. And so the devil's having more influence in people's minds and hearts. And again, it's only going to get worse. But God will bring a remnant through what hope. Verse 23, then you will be comforted when you see their ways and their doings, and you shall know that I have done nothing without cause in all that I brought upon Jerusalem, says the Lord God. So God has been prophesying through Ezekiel. He's going to, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, but he says a remnant is going to come out, and you're going to be comforted when you see this remnant come out, when you see that I've grabbed a hold of their heart, that I've led them to repentance, that I've brought conviction upon them, that they've confessed the sin, that they've gained victory over the sin, that they've turned to me, that they've turned away from their idols, that allowing Jerusalem to fall was not in vain. It had a purpose. I was right in my doing. I was right in letting the calamities happen to Job. I was right in letting the flood take place. I was right in letting Daniel be taken captive. God knows what he's doing, and God knows what he's doing in our lives, even when calamities come to us. Even when troubles come to us, God knows what he's doing, because through your trouble, God will bring us out better as we trust in him. There's a saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Of course, that's not always true. <laughs> in the physical realm, but in the physical realm, if we take what doesn't kill us and we grow from it and learn from it, we can become stronger as a result of it. And in the spiritual realm, what doesn't kill us but makes us trust in God more, makes us more earnest in prayer, more faithful in him, more trusting in him, digging more in his word, allowing God to search our hearts more, will make us stronger in him and will bring us forth faithful and true. And that's God's ideal. The troubles just help to prune away the dross on us, help cleanse us of our defilement and help reveal the idols that are really there. We really don't know how hard we're holding on to something until God takes it away. And then we really find out how much we love that thing or that person or that whatever and whether that love has become more than our love for God or not. And so he allows us to go through these things. But his wonderful promise, then you will be comforted when you see their ways. We'll be comforted when we see the transformation that takes place in other people's lives. 
We'll be comforted in seeing the deliverance that takes place in them as we minister and as we love others and we share with God's word with others. We are comforted in seeing the remnant come out of Babylon. God calls us to go forth and to tell them and to warn them in love and in mercy and in humility. And we are comforted when we see God's work in their lives. And we're also comforted when we see how God works all things out together for good to those who love God, those that are called according to his purpose. We're comforted in this life when we get to see sometimes how bad things turned out to be good. But if we don't get to see it here, we will get to see it in eternity. God will let us see back and show us his work in our lives. And we will be comforted and strengthened and encouraged in how God has worked marvelously in our behalf. So as we pray tonight, God brings, if there's any area in your life, any area of conviction, God's grabbing a hold of your heart in some area of your life. Some idol, some sin, some known, unconfessed or unrepented of or some area that you haven't gained victory over yet. When we pray in a moment, ask God to give you full victory. Maybe he needs to reveal what the real root is, what's the real problem, why is it still holding on so tightly. Give him permission to bring full conviction and full deliverance and full release. Maybe you haven't believed that by God's grace you can walk like Noah, like Daniel, and like Job. But God puts them out as an example to us. And you want to claim God's power to have victory like them, be able to walk like them. And yet still in the humility that they had, not feeling they were any better than anyone else. Ask God to give you a consistent walk with him, a righteous walk with him, that he might write upon our names in the record book, righteous in their generation, without fault, spotless, blameless, without guile in their mouth, Someone who Satan does not have a foothold on. As we pray, you can ask God to do that in your life. Maybe there's some in Babylon that God's calling us to reach out to and to warn and tell them to get out. Or maybe there's some in Jerusalem that need to be called out. God's calling us to warn them and talk to them and witness to them so that God may be comforted in their deliverance. Maybe you're going through some calamity right now. Maybe you're going through some difficulty now like Job or like Daniel or like Noah or like Jerusalem did. Maybe it seems like everything's getting stripped away and taken away. A trial and tough time you're going through. Trust in the Lord. Hold fast to him. And be comforted in God's love as he reaches into your heart and takes hold of it. Says, you are my child. I am your God. Let him embrace you and hold you 
and walk you through this trial and bring you forth as a remnant for him. That your testimony might comfort others as they see God's walk in our lives. If any of those areas apply to you right now or maybe some other area, as we pray, let us let God do his work in us. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we thank you for your love and we are thankful for the testimony that you gave through Ezekiel. Thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness to the word. And Lord, may we be faithful to you as well. Continually bring conviction to us. Continually give us the gift of confession and the gift of repentance. Continually give us the Holy Spirit and continually give us victory over sins. Continually give us your righteousness and clothe us in your righteousness. And may your name be glorified and may people see you through us. Hold us fast and walk us through this life in the here and now and through the time of trouble that's coming. Make us a remnant that walks with you and is seen through to the other side. Use us in comforting and witnessing and warning others and use us in bringing comfort to others by living righteous, holy lives that trust you no matter what. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.